Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where our mission is to bring you champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out how to use the iterative mindset method to positively shape your company culture. And we'll do that with Kyra Bobinette. Now, Kyra is the CEO and founder of Fresh Try, a cutting-edge neuroscience-based health behavior change platform developed with and for Walmart Associates. She's an award-winning public health physician that specializes in healthcare innovation, technology-enabled behavior change, behavioral neuroscience, health dis, uh, disparities, and population health management. She's got an MD from uh, UCSF and an MPH from Harvard. She's an adjunct professor at Stanford School of Medicine, and she's also got a best-selling book called Well-Designed Life, and she's been called, which has been called a must-have tool for health innovators worldwide. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Bill. So uh, you've got a very interesting background and company. So with all of that, who do you serve? So Fresh Try is a software platform for health improvement at companies. So we sell to customers like Walmart um, who want to make their people healthier and want them to have a personalized experience. And so on the person side or on the employee side, we're basically coding each of their employees around <clears throat> with a personalized plan for how to change their habits, how to address their chronic illnesses. 70% in America, especially have either overweight, obesity, or chronic conditions or both. And so we're really just in the sweet spot of changing people's health so that they can work better and live better and reach their own potential. So for these clients of yours, what is the problem that uh, you've identified and are able to solve for them, Kyra? Yeah. In any population of employees, about 20% of people drive about 80% of the healthcare costs. And as we all know, healthcare costs are unrelenting. It's absolutely skyrocketing and seeks to be about 20% of GDP by 2030. So it's just around the corner. It just keeps rising. And employers cannot mitigate these costs with just throwing more and more, especially pharmacy or that kind of thing. So the cheaper way to do this for everybody, and the better way to do this for everybody is for people to be healthier and healthier people actually don't, they, they have the right use of <clears throat> healthcare costs instead of over leaning on those. And the truth is that people if they overconsume within a population, then there's not as much for other people to have, or it compromises the stability of the company. For everybody, this is the number two cost in their spreadsheet for CFOs all over the world. Number one is your people, and number two is your healthcare costs. Wow. Yeah. I did not realize that. That is stunningly scary. Maybe our listeners would benefit from you going through a case study, maybe, of one of your clients and how you go about delivering your services, maybe how do you find each other? How do you onboard somebody? 
what's your pricing model look like? Just walk us through kind of soup to nuts when you and your team get involved with helping people out with this problem. Yeah. So we're a B2B company, um, B2B to C. So on the B2B aspect of that with Walmart, we have a contract that is a license for the software. And then our job is to find their people. They have their own internal channels, but also because Walmart has 1.6 million associates and their families, most of which are on social media, we can target them that way as well. And we have very sophisticated algorithms on the social media ad side to invite people into the experience and make sure that they are the employee that we think they are. And then what we do is we give them health coaching at a scalable level. Pricing model wise, we're incredibly competitive, way under market in terms of normal health coaching, because we're actually using technology and algorithms and behavioral neuroscience to target and retain people in a way that normally you have to spend, you know, $40, $50 per person per month on health coaching and we're more pennies on the dollar. And so Walmart and partnering with Walmart has really pushed us on the health economic side of things to build something that is lean, that is that is effective, that causes weight loss. We were just collecting weight loss data the other day. And we're having really good numbers. People who stay in our platform, 20, 50 pounds, they're taking their medications, they're getting healthier on their own terms. This isn't some big brother program where you have to do this. People are doing it because... I believe that everybody wants to be healthy and wants to play with their kids and their grandkids and do all the sort of fun things in life. And you can't do that without good health. So you did mention competition. So tell us about how you differentiate yourself vis-a-vis -vis the competition. Yeah. So what we found early on in this started as a research project by funded by Walmart, they were like, the, the system's broken, chronic disease management is broken, the acute care system, doctors are too busy to actually change behavior. They can just write prescriptions or send you to different therapies or surgeries, but there's a gap in there of people managing their own health in a way that is accessible to them. And so we did research and we found that there was this really interesting minority of people who did it differently. In the world of health behavior change that I've been in for 30 years, most of everything is dictated by goals and tracking, smart goals and tracking. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that when it comes to long-term change, it has a really nasty side effect, which is that there's a part in the brain that we recently discovered in medicine and science called the habenula. And you don't have to remember that word, but what it means is that it is the failure detector. And so if you set a smart goal and it doesn't go exactly as planned, which is very much the case, then what happens is that your brain subconsciously says, oh, I failed at that. If I aim to eat 1200 calories today, but I eat 1300, a failure light goes on in my brain in this area of my brain. And then it shuts off. It's the kill switch for my motivation. And so what's happening with these performative methods, goals and tracking based methods is that people are losing their motivation. Then they're blaming themselves. And what we found in the Walmart associate research is that there's this minority of people who are maze runners who figured their way out of the maze. And what they did all the same that nobody else did was they iterated. And their numbers are that they can keep the weight off. They can keep at the top of their health, potential health, long-term. And that was super interesting. And so that was the genesis of building a software for being iterative and for iterating. And this is a new word for a lot of people. These people didn't even know that they were iterating. It's basically you do plan A and then plan B, then plan C. You just keep 
experimenting and you keep tweaking and tinkering it like a like an old classic car buff, like somebody who is just like uh, an Edison inventing the light bulb, for example. So is this something that you can teach or is, it, is the software sort of your daily companion, if you will, along this? No, I believe it's th there's three different ways. So one is that people who don't think like this can actually be converted to thinking about this. It turns out that iterative mindset and mindsets in general are faster than habits to form as the kind of operating system of how you are changing your behavior. So the iteration change from performance to iteration is quite easy and it creates equivalent, in our research, it creates equivalent amounts of weight loss. The real key for the person, the real benefit for the employee and for the person long-term is that it keeps the weight off. There's a 97% relapse rate with performative methods. And what we see with iterative methods is that these people last long-term because you've taught them to fish. They know how to go from thing to thing. And, and the way that they're viewing behavior change itself is this marathon type of method versus sprinting. Interesting. So let's talk about your business. It sounds like you, this, this research project was at least part of the catalyst for you starting your business. So tell us about maybe the major milestones that you went through. Mm -hmm. Some of the successes and what you learned, the failures, what you learned. Yeah. Give us a story. Yeah, absolutely. I really think that what I've come through this meta lesson around is iterating your way as a startup. Any business that doesn't iterate, that like Kodak or old businesses that don't iterate, that don't flex, that don't pivot on time are going to die. And so what I've learned from even the associates and the Walmart associates, these clever genius people and that they would iterate, then we became more of an iterative culture as well. So a couple milestones is we found the research, we found these MacGyvers, these people who are just clever and iterate instead of perform. And then we started to build things and we started to test and prove to Walmart that A, it's teachable, B, it drives clinical outcomes, in this case, weight loss, and C, it also drives habit formation. And so those were some really critical testing points where we weren't sure that we had gotten it right. We weren't sure that we were able to replicate nature, make more MacGyvers, make more people who are iterators. And that was one gate where I would say it was a near-death experience where we did this study and we were just doing this. And then it turned out that at the end of the study, uh, it was favorable for our approach. And so I think that <clears throat> what I would say I learned about that is that there are certain gates where you can't play it safe. You absolutely have to take the risk and the bet on your hypothesis that what you have built or what you think is going to work for the market will actually work. And then the next sort of gate for that right now that we're in right now is proving the outcomes and being able to scale outcomes with scalable resources like coaching, with the technology, with the behavioral algorithms that sit behind the technology. We are again, testing ourselves in broad daylight with our customers to say, hey, this works. And in our field, there is, we're at the sort of tail end of a huge influx of hot money into our field. So during the time that we started the research to now, we went through a bubble with the VC community, just injecting all kinds of cash. And there's all kinds of colleagues of ours and peer organizations that were birthed in the last three or four years that are now 
scrambling to live or going away or those kinds of things. So I would say the other lesson is to really earn your keep. Don't lie about your results. Don't lie to get it to get a deal. Honesty is the most, that's the kind of tourist in the hair approach is to go. And it's really tempting because we're seeing all these kind of like inflated valuations in the world and the Elizabeth Holmes and the Sam Bankman Freeds and all these kind of like glorious explosions based on lies in the business world. I think there's a real call to having character and having honesty in sales that I think is going to, in these times of high interest rates, is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Very good. Thanks for all that coaching. So <laughs> tell us about your team. So how did you go about building your team? Where'd you find those people? How, how do you filter? I'm guessing you use your experience with culture, finding the right people, but give us an idea of uh, what your company looks like from a team standpoint. Yes. To us, the most important thing is the giver versus taker variable. So we screen for that in interviews and that has worked out pretty well for us in terms of beating the odds. We have very few people leave on an annual basis, maybe one to 10% where we have a small team. So depending on the year, and then we have a core team of about 20 people and growing. We are a upper seven digit business right now on revenue and growing. And what we have found to be really helpful is that we have a Monday team meeting where two things happen. We check in about how our weekend went, and then we appreciate somebody else for helping us. Okay. So it's a kind of service leadership type of culture where everybody's a leader and everybody's a servant. And somehow having that plus iteration, it's, it tends to create good feelings and also healthy conversations. And so what I would say if I were starting from scratch over again is part of it's luck. I, I found a really powerful CTO. We worked together at Aetna before we found ourselves able to work together again 10 years later. And we've been, or a couple of years later, we've been friends and we've also been colleagues. And I think having those kind of pillar kind of people who are going to ride or die with you is really important because I see a lot of companies just sputter and fail out the door if they don't happen to have that luck. And then from there, just having a bunch of people who are really aware of what your values are and are willing to work under those and then re reinforcing our culture with regular trainings, with regular conversations. I think another thing that we did that was really smart was iterating on communications. So we have a communications forum every month or so where people iterate on how they're communicating. I'm getting too many late night texts. Let's not text after a certain time. I'm, I'm not getting the escalation pattern looks like this. Before you call me, you would Slack me, then you would email me. Like we set up those agreements so that everybody knows what's going on. And when they get a certain form of communication, they know how urgent it is. That's excellent. So what do you feel is holding you back right now? Always my own self. I, th I think the CEO is the, the lead indicator of how well I am growing and changing and being flexible is how the rest of the company gets sputtered or stuck or is flowing. And so what I have just come out of is a fair amount of frustration, burnout getting during COVID. We were already a virtual company, so we had no problem with that. We were very flat, facile on that. We've been iterating, but there's always things where different brains operate differently. And I'm as I mature as a CEO, what I'm going through myself is phases of understanding 
how to bridge the gap between how I think and how my executives think or how my team thinks and really getting more skillful around that. And then just my, even my imagination, I don't know if you've followed the Gay Hendricks book about the big leap and upper limiting, but I think that for me, upper limiting is, can I actually feel comfortable at a new diameter of the organization? Or are there parts of me that kind of holds back because I'm scared of losing that control or scared that I'm not enough to fill those bigger shoes? So those are the kinds of edges that I'm working these days. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. How can our listeners get a hold of you and your company? Yeah, so freshtry.com, T-R-I is how you spell try. And also I have a personal website, drkyrobobinette.com for my book and also for a, a new book that I've just submitted the manuscript around and will be coming out in Q1 at the end of Q1 of next year. Excellent. So finally, maybe there's a question that I should have thought of and asked you, but I didn't. So what is that unasked question that would give huge value to our listeners? And then what's the answer, Kyra? Yeah, I think that what's fresh of mind is that we just did a large scale quantitative study on how people are feeling these days and what their big pain points are. And we have asked this before COVID. And what I was really struck by is that 90% of people are struggling with some form of negative emotion whether that is anger or anxiety or fear of any kind or depression or those kinds of things. And so there's a lot of grieving that's going on. And we, I, I don't know what the answer is, Bill, but it seems like that is fundamentally different right now in work life and in company running leadership than ever before. And I've seen almost reactive things of, oh, let's make everybody feel comfortable. I don't think that's the answer. I think we have to be uncomfortable and figure out how to be uncomfortable in a way that's tolerable, that, that is productive. And so uh, maybe you have ideas about this, but that seems to be the real message of the day in terms of where we're at in the world of business. Thanks for sharing that alarming statistic. You've given us several alarming statistics. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing your time and your wisdom. You too. Thank you. For everybody now, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our companies don't become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first creating a visionary strategy and number two, using a management system to execute that strategy, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, you can get your hands on the key to those three. Just go to getbillsgift.com. Thanks for listening. Kyra, thanks for sharing your time with us today. Thank you, Bill, for having me.